0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by Ag Direct. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com.
1: Moving higher in the 21st century.
0: Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the
1: years, you'll find a scene.
0: Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 248 This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire Helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years For more information, go to axontire.com also, Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, Direct can help you finance it. You could even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. The cool thing about this podcast that I've done, other than, you know, Getting to talk to a bunch of people is that you get to talk to some unique people that are doing some unique things in the industry and for the industry, and I've got one of those people on here today, and his name is Brett Scottio, and he is with Aimpoint Research out of Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I've had the opportunity to listen to Brett um, give his presentation called Farmer of the Future about three times, Um, and each time I listen to it, I, I learn something new about what's going on out there. So, Brett, welcome to the podcast, man. Well, thank you, Casey. Great to be here with you. Yep, Brett. Uh, give a little background on yourself, um, what Aimpoint Research is, and 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 how you got to this point in your life. Yeah, I
1: found my thank you. I found my way into agriculture for, through a little different route than than many. I was an Army intelligence officer. Okay, and uh, spent a lot of time in some unique roles across the uh, the Army and in the intel world, and wanted to come out and continue to provide insights to leaders. And so I decided to build a company called Aimpoint Research, uh, and found a fast home in agriculture for a couple reasons. One, agriculture is foundational to our national security, food security being a critical part of our strength as a nation. Our ability to project American food power uh, is important and one of the most stabilizing forces on the planet, and so I wanted to be part of that cause. And the second part is I found quickly that Boy, the people of agriculture sure are, are amazing, and they, uh, they share a lot of the value systems that we had in the Army. So it became a fast home, and we've spent the last 22 years working in agriculture, working with leaders, using some of the best practices that I grew up with in the Army and in the intel world, and kind of applying strategic intelligence to uh, our clients' view of the future and helping them refine their plans and strategies be more effective so that that's what
0: brings me here today right on okay well let's talk about the farmer of the future research that you've done and and kind of what made you go down that path versus you know some of the other paths where you might be looking more at you know what's the consumer want to buy and how are we going to get the consumer more involved in in the you know what's going on on the farm those kind of things
1: So, this journey really started back in 2018, and it was our observation at that point that nobody really had a very well-crystallized view of what the future state would be in agriculture 10 or 20 years over the horizon. They had their strategic plans, which maybe looked a couple years out, but nobody really had invested in doing the research necessary to understand all the dynamics that would happen over 20 years, which is... Admittedly, a long way over the horizon, but there are some important developments that we felt uh, weren't being considered in in strategy in general. In the Army, you have this notion of a close battle and a deep battle. Close battle is what you're engaged in right now. You have to win that, of course, but you don't have the luxury of uh, not thinking, even in the midst of that close battle, about what's coming next. It could be far worse uh, than what you're dealing with. So you had to train, you had to prepare, you had to plan at all times. For the future uh, scenario, not just the current one. And so, we decided to try to take this on, and we brought a collaboration of uh, our key clients together to do the research necessary to answer a really big question, who are the farmers of the future, and what will they require of of all of us, of of our institutions across agriculture? And uh, it had a number of different elements in it, a psychographic segmentation, which is a really fancy word for using math to figure out how farmers view the world differently, how they make different decisions, how they ultimately uh, will navigate through the change of the future. So that was a big part of it. And then we did a series of wargaming activities, uh, which is also a tool from the Army, uh, where you you kind of develop the dynamics that will formulate the future state of agriculture. And so uh, it's both testing the action and reaction of pieces and parts of the agri-food value chain in that future state scenario, and also uh, identifying the, the key dynamics, the blind spots, the opportunities that will emerge over the next 20 years. So the study was aimed at trying to clarify a 2040 future state. In order to kind of give some clarity to our clients about what they could expect and where they need to focus and, and use their resources to, to optimally impact uh, their customers, which are t- typically farmers, and
0: uh, to be prepared for what the, the future will bring. Yep. So I talk about a lot on here. Uh, we're kind of at a, at a generational crossroads. And we, you know, if you look what's happening now, you've got. Grandpa, and Dad, or and Mom and <clears throat> Grandma and all them are, are starting to kind of factor out a little bit of the farm, um, pass the reins on to the next generation. And the the thing that I I talk about a lot here is you know the the technological advances between Grandpa and and Dad and that what that looks like is nothing like it is today. I mean it's it's a whole sure. another another deal. So as you take a look at these and your research and what you're looking at. What are some of the differences that you're seeing generationally with this, you know, you know, twenty-five to forty-year-old, forty-five-year-old that's taken over the the operation? What are some of the differences that you're seeing, and how's technology playing into that? Yeah, I mean, certainly the expectations on the
1: farmers have changed, uh, the, the tools that has changed, uh, the requirements have changed. Uh, so we really are in this dynamic period. And you know, I hear a lot well, agriculture's always been been changing, but as we look at it, we really believe we're in the early innings of the fourth agricultural revolution, which is a a revolution driven by technology and data and connectivity and genetics, these amazing tools that are coming together to really change the nature of agriculture itself and what we what we know is that demographics tends to be a little bit misleading in understanding farmers there's so much emphasis on big farmers or small you know versus small or you know younger farmers versus old and what we found as we did our psychographic segmentation is that really it's mindsets that seem to drive who's successful and who's ultimately going to struggle, within, wouldn't it, within agriculture? There are five segments that we identified, and then I'll come back to the young generation here in a minute, but 20%, about a fifth of the, the farmers and ranchers out there today are what we call independent elites. These farmers that are really successful at the top of the game, tend to be innovators, very empowered, long-range thinkers, focus on the business of agriculture, and uh, tend to feel very empowered to navigate through whatever Challenges may come, uh, and they've found great success, and continue to find great success even in ups and downs that uh, all farmers experience. Another twenty-one percent, enterprising business builders, very entrepreneurial farmers. You know, and I think uh, a lot of the younger folks coming into ag have that entrepreneurial mindset, mm-hmm. and they they want to uh, embrace new things. These enterprising business builders are not enamored with how ag was done in the past, uh, really looking for shaking up the model, earlier adopters of new technology, uh, looking for ROI, very much business-focused, empowered, uh, financially in a good position. These are the, the farmers that are changing the game and moving faster and leaning forward on new management practices and new technologies. Uh, The classic practitioners, about 24% of the Farmer Rancher universe today, farmers that are still fighting, they're still working hard out there trying to achieve some goals, but finding themselves under some level of duress, you know, finding uh, that they lack some of the tools, some of the business IQ to get to that next level, looking for help, looking to collaborate, but finding themselves falling a little bit further and further behind the curve because of uh, the financial pressure that they've been... In from uh, time to time, that has made them a little more risk-averse, a little less willing to adopt new technology, a little slower to pull the trigger on change, and that's hurting their competitiveness. Then 22% self-reliant traditionals, really allergic to modern uh, ag. They're the folks that will say, look, we've farmed this way in our family for generations, and we'll keep farming this way as long as we can. Uh, Very fiscally conservative, uh, not at all... Uh, accepting of a lot of the new tools and really just uh, running the play they know to run and that they've perfected over the years. The industry's kind of changing around them though, and they're they're going to lose that competitiveness uh, uh, faster and faster over time. And finally, the the leverage is about fourteen percent. These these are folks that uh, really love farming, uh, but lack uh, the real business insights it takes to be successful. So they tend to make some mistakes. They tend to get over uh, on a a limb financially. And uh, when times are good, they do well. When times aren't so good, they they struggle very, very uh, intensely. So, these are folks that are consolidating the fastest. And in every group, there are old farmers and young farmers and big farmers and small farmers. Uh, What we know is that, you know, the independent elites and the enterprising business builders will tend to navigate better the dynamics of the future and will find a way to be successful where the others will struggle more and more. So, back to the generational question, you know, what we know is that farmers have psychographics, not farms. And sometimes that generational turnover is exactly what a farm needs when you bring that young folk person back into the farming operation with a little more uh, tech savvy uh, attitude, a little more open to that change, those are the folks that are coming back a lot of times to ag. Uh, and so they are willing and able to, to transition faster to what a farm will need in order to compete in, in the future. But that's not everyone. There are some young farmers out there that very much mimic some of these other personality types uh, because of how they grew up or because of how they view the industry. Uh, where they're they're not as uh, as welcoming to the to the change the bottom line in all of this is that the mindset of that farmer is a huge indicator into how successful a farming operation will be as we move forward to that 2040 time horizon a lot of
0: changes come and that has to be embraced yep yeah and that's that's the it's funny how you broke those out into those five different things so i can I can go through my entire customer list and, and start stacking people into that, into that, uh, into that group. And you're right. There's uh <clears throat> age doesn't seem to matter when you start looking at that. I, there's, there's some folks I work with that are in the retirement, really close to retirement that I would, I would lump into that. Um, you know, they're the, uh, the second, the second group there that you talked about. Um, you know, that they were really embracing technology, really looking at things moving forward. And I've got guys that, that are, that went to college and they, they're back at the farm and, they would still use more war plows if if they were available yeah. to be, you know to do so it's uh it's one of those things where it is so much driven by you know exactly what you're talking about there it's just what their vision they can see the future a little bit and they can in their and their ability to adapt to the business transaction that are going on around them and it's it's a very it's a very neat thing to to watch happen
1: yeah, and it's very difficult to change your mentality yeah. towards the industry or your operation. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm often asked, hey, can people change their psychographics?" Um, it's hard to do, but what it, what you can do is is recognize your psychographics playing out in your operation, and bring in those folks, young or mm-hmm. old or whoever they are, uh, to to help you round out the your vision for for your farming operation. I'll tell you, we were interviewing the other day; we had an older farmer. Uh, we didn't know how old. Uh, and typically in market research, you don't want to ask how old they are. Right. It certainly uh, create some boundaries there that that are important to maintain. But after we heard from this guy for about an hour, we're like, "Wow, you're entrepreneurial. Wow, you're really leaning forward. You're embracing regenerative. You're doing using all this technology." wow, how old are you? And we just asked and he was 80 some years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's really, really misleading. And that's one of our key messages to our clients is don't rely on demographics to tell you who's going to make it and who's not or who's going to be more successful or not. uh, And not even uh, size. Obviously, scale is a big player in the future, just simply from an economic and efficiency point of view. But there are some large farms out there run by, Leverage lifestylers that are failing fast, and there are some mid and small size farms that are run by these uh, entrepreneurs that are very much embracing the change, and they are growing like rockets. So we got to get out of that demographic mindset. We need to start understanding uh, the psychographics of a farm farmer and uh, how they run their farm will make a huge difference in the
0: future. Yep. All right. So. I've listened to your, like I said, I've listened to your presentation about three different times, and, and one thing that I, I hear in there a lot, and it's it's an interesting concept for me, is that you've talked about, you know, the current commodity market and the way we look at it now, that, that there's going to be more, um, based on your wargaming stuff that you're doing, conversation that you've had and those kind of things, that right. there's going to be more direct contracts from, like, the general mills of the world, those kind of things, directly to a an end-user farmer and, and say, you know, hey we will pay you x if you do this but you have to do it exactly this way and then kind of looking at the current commodity market that it's kind of the uh you know in the future it might be the choice of last resort type of thing um more of an auction based type mentality going into that talk about that a little bit and some of your research that you see there
1: Yeah. So a big part of this Farmer of the Future look into the future was doing uh, a number of war games. And Mm -hmm. we do a lot of war gaming for our clients or for groups of our clients. But every year in November, we come together in Nashville with industry leaders from across the agri-food value chain. And we we do these future state scenario war games where we really flush out not only the key dynamics that are driving the change, but how will organizations and farmers and all the different uh, links in the chain react to those dynamics over time? And, we, you know, we find that one of the more pronounced dynamics is just this need for supply chains to differentiate. So much of this is driven by consumers. And I know we'll talk more about consumers here in a minute, but the consumers are demanding more and more of agri-food. And the way in which the farm the food companies the retailers the cpg consumer packaged good companies are connecting with consumers that are on these shared values and trying to meet the consumer where they want to be met in order to do that in order to deliver on those promises you know which largely come through in claims like all natural non gmo organic all these things that In agriculture, we understand that it's important. Uh, We don't always understand why people are so enamored by these things that they maybe and likely don't fully understand. But the simple fact is supply chains are trying to build that trusting relationship with the consumer and differentiating is a major part of how they gain that share of wallet. So in order to differentiate, to deliver on a promise to a client or or a customer, you have to make sure your supply chain is delivering on that promise all the way through. And so what we really see are the Costco's of the world or Walmart's, you can insert any name you want into one of these massive supply chains Is they're trying to build preferential relationships with farmers that allow them to get uh, their input, their commodity, their ingredient or product all the way through their supply chain with uh, fidelity to that promise. And so what that's gonna do over time is really become the markets that are most preferred in the relationships that are most preferred and affect the general commodity markets, which will largely become markets of last resort. Now, obviously, you know, there's grain and corn and soybeans and things like that that are feedstocks and others. But even in the feedstock arena, those supply chains are looking to differentiate their herds that become animal protein. Uh, So, uh, you know, this is going to affect everybody in varying uh, proportions. Uh, But long term, the general commodity market is indeed uh, a market of last resort. And we can go uh, any direction you want, Casey. But there's, you know, there's a lot of change coming for soybeans, a lot of change coming for corn, especially. And Mm -hmm. so even the big row crops that we can't even probably fathom whatever uh want to differentiate in the way that I'm describing we we see that differentiation happening over the next two decades.
0: Yep. All right, so let's let's talk about those those key crops there, corn, soybeans, those kind of big cash crops that are out there. Um right now, you know, the soybean crush rates are through the roof. Biodiesel is a big deal now. It's uh, the ethanol of of uh the 2020s, you know, type of thing. Um that's a big differentiator out there that you see coming down the line. Um, but kind of back to your to your point with the consumer, um, more and more consumers are, are really wanting to understand what they're eating, where their food's coming from, how it was produced, where it's produced, who produced it. Um, I want to be able to go research, you know, ABC Farms and see how they raise their cows and all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, That's right. How, how are you seeing that interaction with, you know... You talk to a lot of guys on the farm, and you, and you go out and talk to them, and they're like, I'm just going to tell me how to grow my corn, you know, type of thing. You get some of that, and then you got some that'll be like, hey, if you're going to pay me, I'll do whatever you want me to do, you know. So there's that there's that hard line between those two camps. And where do you see that that hard line at in those five distinct groups that you put out there?
1: Yeah, so you, yeah, I tell a story every once in a while about some of the farmers that – We're at uh, some of these war games early on in the Farmer of the Future research, and we had farmers—in fact, it's a big row crop uh, farmer—that said, look, I understand what the consumer is asking for. I understand that the food companies and retailers want to differentiate, but this is my farm. It's my ground, and I'm going to grow it my way, and there's no way some food company executive is going to tell me how to farm. I will go down with this ship before I will surrender my independence. And uh, all the research says that he's absolutely right. He's going to go down with the ship because that is not how this will work uh, in the future, that we are an integrated agriculture and food chain. And the consumer is expecting a lot more from us uh, as we move forward. We did this really robust uh, body of research called Next Gen Consumer. And when you just look even at the most fundamental demographic shifts here in America, especially when you look at the diversity that is now in our uh, in our population. And you know that by 2050, no ethnic group constitutes a majority here in the United States, not the white Caucasians. Uh, that we're it just, we've become the mixing bowl that you know, everybody uh, always talked about, and so that requires a more diverse food production system in general because of different cultures and ethnic and habits and behaviors. We know that that traceability, transparency, sustainability are all table stakes of the future, no matter what you grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see the continued growth of things like alternative proteins, which you know we could talk for an hour about by itself, but. Uh, far you know, farmers don't understand it as much as the consumer says. Yeah, but I think it's better for me. It's healthier for me, and so we're going to see some you know pressure on animal agriculture here in the United States. Continue to be global markets for it, but alternative proteins will continue to rise. They want uh, the consumer wants less processed food. They want uh, they want uh, food that has less chemicals uh, in it than less preservatives in it, and they want to know that they're. Uh, their farmers who are out there growing those ingredients, aren't spraying a lot of chemicals and pesticides and herbicides on mm. on the crop too. And so there's these 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 really strong trends coming that consumers are kind of imposing on agri-food. And I'm not here to tell you that they understand what they're even saying right. in every case, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, yeah. but they do feel very strongly about what they believe, and the food companies and retailers they're not trying to educate a consumer. They're trying to just meet that consumer demand. And so this is going to continue to shift. And those farmers that are leaning forward, we just did a, uh, an update to the, the original Farmer of the Future study. And it shows really clearly that the farmers, especially those enterprising business builders and independent elites, those successful entrepreneurial farmers are leaning forward on sustainable practices and regenerative practices. They're leaning forward on reducing chemical use and using technology to help become more precise there, moving more towards organic and these preferential uh, relationships with the end users. They're also using technology uh, to, to be able to accomplish all these things using data and connectivity and if in gaining efficiency. You know, they're leaning forward and they feel like they can make more money doing it not less, more. Uh, and it is pretty clear that they're, they're doing that. And that's what the, these supply chains are looking for. And then there, there are other farmers that say, I, you know, I can't, I can't afford all of that stuff. I can't afford to make those changes and those pivots. I'm not sure I would be successful. And therefore, I'm going to stay running the play that I know the best and uh, they're going to find themselves further and further out of step with what the the end consumer wants, and therefore the supply chains. And so, it's really easy to see that that farmer rancher universe kind of stretching out as some get further and further ahead of others as we lean into this
0: future state. Yep. So you you bring up a good point there, and you, you talked about it earlier in, in the interview here, where you're talking about the fourth um, uh, boom in, in agriculture coming, and I've talked about that a few times on here where moving forward right now um <clears throat> excuse me moving forward right now there's not going to be like technology for farm right now it's pretty re- readily available i mean seed chemical fertilizer technology all that stuff is you can buy it by the by the train load or by the sack full. i mean whatever you want to do however you make that work you start looking at equipment technology it's pretty relevant across the board it's pretty pretty even But as some of this information starts to kind of come together when you're looking at, like, you know, documentation, those kind of things. Seeing spray with John Deere, for example, is a a great uh, example of that where you're spraying a specific amount of of chemical on a specific area and not broadcast spraying across the the spectrum. You start looking at those kind of things. Some of that technology, back to your point, is some people, just because of scale, will not be able to... um, to be competitive. And I've, I've used the example of by time, you know, seeing spray technology gets to gen four level and you're just not getting to gen one, you're, you're, you're really going to be behind the eight ball because of what it costs for you to go out and operate now. What are you, what's your research showing there on that, on that side of, of the, especially on the equipment side, technology side of, of the business.
1: Yeah, the, the, the you're right in what you're saying. I mean, what we know is that this traceability, transparency and sustainability is absolute table stakes in every commodity by 2040. And what that translates to, we just came out of our November war game not long ago in Nashville uh, just right before Thanksgiving in 2021. Uh, And one of the major thematics there was the digitization and data, these connected ecosystems that ultimately allow data to flow from the input providers through the farm all the way to that end user and that whether or not a consumer chooses to, to seek out that information, that information must be there. And, and You just can't farm using the old technology and old methods and have that connectivity and that data flow that's going to be required. There are a lot of companies out there that are contending to kind of standardize that uh, data connectivity and uh, the, this, the data standardization that will be required in order to communicate from left to right across the train uh, uh, the chain there's a lot of folks in that space working on it uh, and while we can't tell you today who's going to ultimately win that battle what we can tell you is that that battle will be won and that there is going to be a requirement on all farmers to be able to trace at that level down to the plant mm-hmm. not down to the row not down to the field but down to the plant uh, everything that went in and out of, of that crop in order to, to bring it to market will be absolutely required uh, in the future. And you're just not going to be able to do it without that the, the more sophisticated technology. I think when I was at your uh, your last conference, Casey, I think I heard that 70% of the equipment out there is capable of, of moving that data yeah. and only getting better and better. Uh, but what we know from our recent, most recent uh, research is that A lot of farmers aren't really using it. Even if they're collecting it, they're not really using it. Uh, They don't necessarily always know how to translate it. Pretty reliant on agronomists, kind of conventional advisors to still help them do it. As that becomes more and more refined, more and more automated, more and more uh, where you have artificial intelligence making some of those decisions, it's just a, a flat, cold reality of progress that the farmers that have embraced those capabilities. Are going to get further and further ahead of
0: the others. It's it's funny because we have you know that that data flows wirelessly from the machine to to the cloud, and then it goes you know wherever you need to have it. And so much of that data is collected for pure agronomic decision making um, processes on the farm, and all this information is being gathered out there, and no one no one is really taking a look at the other side of that the other spectrum of that is you know how can i better translate to the end user consumer that's buying my product as a farmer what i'm doing on my farm to grow good safe clean healthy food and that that's a that's a big thing out there that no one's really taking advantage of right now it's
1: coming and you yeah. see the retailers really
0: getting big in that space we were down at texas a&m
1: uh, last summer and we we do a disruption workshop every year for our Executive Intelligence Network members. And so we came together at Texas A&M and the whole thematic for three days was food as medicine. And this idea that in the future, there is this real uh, revolution of thinking about nutrition, thinking about our food system as a way of solving many of the conditions that plague us and move us into the medical system. Uh, Six out of 10 Americans have some condition that largely could be solved through different nutrition and moving away from the one size fits all, you know, fruit is good for everybody. Maybe a banana is good for you. Maybe it's not so good for me. When we start to get down to the molecular level and the DNA of of individuals, uh, the belief system out there today is that all of us have unique requirements nutritionally that will it will reduce health care costs by trillions of dollars across the population here in the United States. Well, that's coming. And when you, when you start to back up and say, okay, think about all the ingredients that are going to fuel that movement. The simple fact is, is that even a Kroger, a large grocery store is seeing their store as an extension of a pharmacy. They're going to require anything in there. To have that level of high fidelity and resolution about where that lettuce came from and how mm-hmm. it was grown, what was put on, whatever the ingredient or the commodity is that's in that store, there is going to be a ramped-up need for complete traceability and transparency. So that data that's going into the cloud only for agronomic uh, consumption, even not not even always at, at that level, but it soon will take on a much higher priority. Uh, not only to, to produce better outcomes on the farm, but to have that transparency that will be required in this new revolution around nutrition that's coming. The, the interesting part about all that, and you know, some folks may be out there saying, well, that sounds crazy. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that are already moving that way. In fact, we know over 50% of Americans are already starting to buy foods that that they know solve health issues for them gluten-free for Mm -hmm. there's a million of them uh they're starting to make those decisions companies are are acknowledging that and starting to uh to move that way and uh it's going to be a gigantic component of all of this going forward and it's going to be fueled by data yep and fancy apps that we all have on our phones that tell us what we should eat or not eat Mm
0: -hmm. and uh and it's going to change the game yep for sure Last, let's hit on a little bit of the wargaming that you've been talking about during this. Talk about what what the war games are and, and what you're what you're doing in those war games. Yeah, so wargaming's uh, war game
1: is a powerful tool. It's something we did in the military both at the strategic level and the tactical level. And essentially what it is is you bring uh, the, the best and the brightest together. You use trending scenarios, use intelligence to kind of articulate some future state scenario and then you compete to determine what your actions will be, not in a vacuum, but uh, against others in a competitive environment. How do you? How would you act in that future state in order to uh, to achieve your business goals or to achieve the outcomes that you want and be impactful? And so, uh, t- a typical industry war game has about 70 different organizations from across agri-food represented. And then we come together for two or three days to uh, to fight it out uh, to see who ultimately can can gain strength in the future versus lose ground or lose impact, or lose relevance. And so, these war games are really powerful thought leadership exercises that just challenge and test everyone's conventional wisdom. We, you know, we took that for granted in the military. Before every operation, every mission, even every exercise, we would war game it out to kind of determine. What should our actions be? What are our blind spots? What are the opportunities? What are the synergies we can get on the battlefield? Now we're just doing that in agriculture, for the express purpose of of making it better, making it stronger, making us more prepared to maintain and and build on American food power here domestically and abroad. Um, and and so it's a, it's a great tool. I'll tell you. I just got back uh, from Miami a couple days ago where I gave a food power speech to the Commodity Markets Council. It was all about this. You know, we, we talk about food security and we talk about the importance of American agriculture. And it certainly is a rallying cry to think about agriculture in national security terms. And we went one step further and we said, we're going to prove it to you. We're going we're to look at examples around the world at how, you know, food ultimately made the difference in stability or instability in war or peace uh, and what it does to populations and what it makes leaders do. And so, we we just think it is hugely important for us to convene, aim point convene leaders from across agriculture to challenge our thinking and to make us better. And these war games uh, have done a great job of doing that for everybody involved. But we get a lot of lessons learned out of it too that then we go out and communicated you know forums like this and in speeches and other things things we learn
0: about what agriculture needs to do right on well good stuff brett i mean this is this is the kind of stuff i just love to talk about because it's you know what the future looks like and what it means for my business and those kind of things so if folks want to reach out to you and and people at aimpoint what's the best way to do that
1: yeah we'd love to hear from you and, and get you engaged and in these types of conversations and in our research. And so you could reach out to aimpointresearch.com. And there are uh, links there would allow you to contact us directly. And again, you know, all of these war games, these things I'm talking about, there are farmers and ranchers involved in it, there are leaders involved in it. If you just have a unique perspective, or you want to challenge your conventional wisdom, You know the, we, we invite you to get involved and be part of these these conversations so that all of us get better and so that we can strengthen that American food power.
0: Right on. Well, Brett, appreciate you being on the podcast, man.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you, Casey. Always appreciate being the time with you.
0: Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also, go to MovingIronLLC.com for blog posts all the podcasts and everything else that's out there moving nine related so with that i'm casey seymour with brett scottio this us be smart folks out you want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment whether you represent the sales parts or management department of an implement dealership there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire wheel and track technology let axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all of your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply at AgDirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at AgDirect.com.
1: In iron, in the 21st